Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the audiobook Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel, where we are covering various chapters throughout every episode. Now, there are three chapters left in Act 2, so in this episode, we're going to cover three chapters, making it a little longer, but uh, it will get to a grand conclusion, because in episode 11, we uh, learned about the tragic aftermath of what Louise had gone through with Mr. Connors and Billy saving her. Now, following that, um, we saw Lisa and Louise playing in the forest, and Louise was just not into it, because like, she just had to deal with Maxwell um, attempting to defile her. And uh, Billy had saved her. She never saw someone die before. All sorts of tragic things happened. And uh, she happened to catch Vivian and Billy in a upset state because Louise couldn't sleep and learned that Vivian and Billy were trying to have a kid and they have not been able to conceive. So Billy and Louise shared secrets and Billy elaborated a little bit more on why Mr. Connors was bad and why he did what he did to the man. And uh, he explained why he can't have kids because of his curse. And Louise was like, oh, I think I know someone who could help. That's kind of where we left off, uh, mostly uh, surrounding Louise. And we are still in wonder how Spaulding is doing. Uh, We'll be getting back to Spaulding right away here. So let's jump into this chapter these three chapters, rather, and find out what happens to the family of Rutherford Manor. Chapter 23. Business. Firm handshakes. The deal was sealed. Spalding felt a wave of excitement rush through him, for a moment. And then, the dreadful guilt sunk back in. He wasn't going to shrug his regret off anytime soon. Still, It was exciting to discuss new opportunities for work. I can see what I can get for you, Jacob said while releasing Spaulding's hand. There's plenty of land in Rowley for a fair coin. The trick is finding a piece that is in a good location for a funeral home. I trust you'll do your best, Spaulding said. Of course, Jacob said. See you at Fight Club tonight? Spaulding shook his head. Not tonight. I have to discuss the next steps with Knox. Of course, no worries. Say, Jacob cleared his throat. I hope I'm not overstepping out of line or anything, but that redhead I saw you with a few days ago, it was nothing, Spaulding said. I was just a little drunk. He felt the remorse crawl up his stomach and into his chest, tearing at his heart. Jacob just had to bring it up, he thought. Spaulding wanted to get defensive, but also didn't want to piss the man off. Jacob was easygoing. Spaulding had also never insulted him before. Knox and Spaulding needed Jacob, and he didn't want to jeopardize that beneficial relationship. I'd say, Jacob said. You sure you're okay? Yeah, Spaulding said. Fine. All right. Have a splendid evening. Jacob took a slight bow before leaving the butcher shop. Spaulding sighed. Complications. There were always complications. He just wanted things to be simple. None of that really mattered for Rutherford Manor. Normal was always out of the question. He eyed the street while pulling out his pocket watch to see the time. The shop was about to close. Then he could go home to his family. 
Maybe he could try and ease things between him and Penny. There was an ongoing discussion between the two of them. Heavy topics such as raising the girls, the family business, and their relationship. It seemed like there would be no end. Mr. Savage, the croaky voice of the town sheriff, Jensen, greeted Spaulding as he strolled across the street and up to the front of the shop, wearing his usual long coat. He put his hand on his belt buckle, as he always did. Good afternoon, he said, standing in the sunlight. Good to see you, Sheriff. What can I do for you? Doing some scoping around. Looks like the quiet times of Rowley have come to an end. Oh, Spaulding could only hope that had nothing to do with Rutherford Manor. Billy had been pretty good at keeping a low profile with Knox's body so far. You and the missus took fondly of the Connors? Sheriff Jensen asked. I suppose. The kids get along. Yeah, I saw you two were chatting at church. Thought I'd talk to you first. About? Mr. Connors is missing. Missing? Spaulding asked, adjusting his stance. That seemed strange. Perhaps Billy had gotten a little too close to the town. Or maybe Spaulding was jumping to conclusions. He'd have to ask Knox and Billy if they knew anything about it. Thankfully, Spaulding had no info and could be fully honest with the sheriff. You know anything? Sheriff Jensen asked. Perhaps where he was going or what he had been up to lately? I can't say that I do. We had dinner with the Connors family on Sunday evening. Everything seemed fine, and it's only been a couple of days. He told me a lick more about their business with the coal mine. He managed it for a bigger company in Chicago. Yeah, Sheriff Jensen said while stroking his mustache. I was afraid of that. Not a lot of info on this fella so far. If I hear anything, I'll let you know, Spaulding said. That'd be mighty helpful. Mrs. Connors and the kids are quite worried. It is unusual for a man of his stature to disappear like that. Indeed, Spaulding said. Thanks, Mr. Savage. Take care of the family. Sheriff Jensen waved goodbye before strolling on down the road. He eyed some of the people walking by, then the buildings, his typical patrol through the town. The sheriff truly wanted the best for Rowley, as did everyone. Spaulding could only think of one death that stood out. Alistair's. The authorities came to such a simple conclusion, a heart attack. It wasn't Sheriff Jensen's fault. That is what the autopsy said. Maxwell Connor's missing though. Spaulding had a suspicion something wasn't right. He had to find out if there was more info on it from Knox. Billy had already left the shop for the day. Spaulding finished closing the shop and saddled his horse. He rode away from Rowley, trotting along the winding path leading back to Rutherford Manor, lost in thought. Adultery, murder, money, the trio of evil that he could not escape. What an unpleasant ride. The mental hell came to an end once he made it to Rutherford Manor and stationed his horse in the stable. Finally, maybe he could get some answers from Knox. He entered the manor, heading to the kitchen first. He wanted to see his wife and girls. They were what mattered, not his worries. Evening, Spaulding said, leaning in to give his wife a kiss. She was stirring a pot. It looked like they were having boiled chicken tonight. She let him give her a peck on the cheek, just a quick one. Spaulding knew better. Her mood had yet to improve throughout the week. Welcome home, Penny said. Where are the girls? Spaulding asked. Lisa's with Vivian, she is showing her how to sew. And Louise? She's with Billy. 
She's taking a strange liking to the forest and dead things, hence he's teaching her hunting. Troubling, Spalding thought. Anything we should be aware of? Just that dead animal that we didn't agree on last time. Other than that, it just seems like she wants to learn some basic survival skills. Uh, that's helpful. I'll keep a close watch on them and have a chat with Billy. Make sure he doesn't show her anything too grotesque. That's a good idea, Penny said. If you'll excuse me, I need to have a chat with Knox. About his government contract. Funeral home. Right, Penny said. Is that something you actually want to do? I think so. A step away from the worst of the gore wouldn't be a bad thing. And into the emotionally misery of the morning? I think I can handle that just fine, Spaulding said. I'll be back up for dinner. All right, dear. Spaulding exited the kitchen and went down into the basement. He presumed that Knox would be there. The man particularly liked living down there. Spaulding opened the closed door and stepped into the darkness, through the hallway leading to the lantern-lit torture chamber, the laboratory or whatever Knox called it. Knox? Spaulding asked, eyeing the operating table. There was no body on it. That was different. Instead, Knox was seated at his desk. In front of him was a hand mounted onto a metal rod with wire stretching out the skin, exposing nerve endings and muscle tissue. Knox was also not wearing his mask. His eyes intently stared at the hand, then looked back down at his paper and his charcoal stick. Spalding, Knox said, focusing on his drawing. Research? Spalding asked, approaching the table. The hand flinched. Spalding froze. That was new. It wasn't often that he saw a corpse move. This was no twitch reflex from nerves either. This was a very deliberate movement, coming from a dismembered appendage. That's correct, Knox said. I've managed to resurrect this hand. It is sustaining a life beyond attachment to the body. Okay, Spaulding said, reaching the desk. Now he could see that the veins of the hand were connected to a tube that led into a jar of green goo, a madman's invention. What good does an animated hand do? Knox finished his illustration of the hand and put the charcoal down. He stared at the detailed drawing. The beginning, Spalding, resurrecting the dead. I thought you were after immortality and soldiers for the government. Precisely. Sometimes you have to take an angled approach to solve a problem and lead yourself astray before you manage to get back on course. I see, Spaulding said. Who is this gentleman? Spaulding asked, pointing at the hand. I'm not sure, Knox said. Was he tall? Slick back hair? No. That does sound familiar, though, Knox said. His eyes moved over to the opposite side of the room where several hospital stretchers were parked close together with cloths draping over the top of them. Billy did bring in a new body yesterday. Fits the description well. You're aware of the Connors family, right? Spaulding asked. I think it rings a bell. Lilith mentioned you took Penny and the girls to visit the corners. Can I see the body? Spaulding asked. Of course, 
Knox said, getting up from his desk. He led Spaulding to the other side of the room and checked the tags on the big toes of each body. He stopped at the middle one and then pulled the covers from the head down. Spaulding stared at the naked, stiff and pale body of a tall man with messy dark hair. Maxwell Connors. Unmistakably, there was a hole at the top of his skull. His groin had been completely shredded. One of his testicles slipped out of the torn sack. His penis had been half cut by the blade that ripped through up to the lower intestine. Guts out. That's him, Spaulding said. Shit. What's wrong? Knox asked. Were you and Penny fond of the Connors? I was neither here nor there, Spaulding rubbed his face. But I think the girls like the family. Penny likes Rose, too. I don't see why that has to change at all. Mr. Connors was not one of the favorites. Christ, Spaulding thought. He forgot who he was talking to. Knox, the emotionally inept one of the family. Knox could only see things in a binary fashion. Technically, he was right. The girls could continue to see Susie and Edward. They could still have dinner with the Connorses. Maxwell just wouldn't be there. Knox was not taking the man's death into account. The Connors family would be mourning the loss of a father and husband. It wasn't worth getting into. Sheriff Jensen came by the shop asking me about them, Spaulding said. He knew we were hitting it off with the Connors family at church. But you don't know anything, Knox said. He flipped the sheet over Maxwell again. Even if you did, even if Sheriff Jensen did learn something, Mr. Sewell will take care of it. Are you sure? Spaulding asked. Positive. You don't need Sheriff Jensen snooping around here, Spaulding said. I agree, we don't want attention. Billy might have just gotten carried away. Or maybe he was unaware that this was a person of importance. He's normally pretty good. Yeah, Spaulding said. Billy seems off his game lately. Do you know why? Knox asked. Can't get a straight answer out of him. He seems too distracted. That's okay. We'll have the funeral home in no time. How did your meeting go with Jacob? Good. He's going to see what he can find for us. He doesn't think it'll be too difficult. Excellent. Lilith and I are gathering the documentations to incorporate. There will be procedures we will have to follow and operational processes to learn. Of course, Spaulding said. I apologize, Knox said. For what? Spaulding asked. For your friend, I mean, your daughter's friend's father, or whatever he was to you. Spaulding shook his head. Don't worry about it. I've seen enough people come and go that this really doesn't bother me. It's more so the potential repercussions. It was always the repercussions. Spaulding only hoped that there wouldn't be backlash to Maxwell Connors' death prayed that there wouldn't be further issues with that Irene incident either. At least Knox was on his side. The man had apologized to him. Knox wanted to make sure Spaulding was okay. That was a good sign of a business partner and friend. 
Knox was doing well filling his father's shoes as head of Rutherford Manor. Chapter 24 Family Man The next day consisted of a typical shift at the butcher shop, negotiating with Jacob about the land and chatting with Billy about his latest hunt. This was Spaulding's life. Thankfully, Sheriff Jensen didn't come back. Some missing persons posters started popping up around town about Mr. Connors. Other than that, that was it. Mrs. Connors hadn't shown her face much. She was obviously upset about her missing husband. Spaulding didn't blame her. You have to be more careful next time, Spaulding said to Billy as the man washed animal guts off of his hand. We can't have anyone getting that close again. I know, Billy said. It won't happen again. We'll be hearing about this Mr. Connors thing for weeks, Spaulding said, pushing to the point. I know, Billy said, drying his hands. Knox and I both noticed that you haven't been yourself lately, Spaulding said, folding his arms as he changed the topic. I haven't seen you much at Fight Club either. I haven't felt like it, Billy said, while gathering his belongings. Knox wants to open up a funeral home. You know that, right? Spaulding asked. I do. It would be nice, so I could spend more time with Vivian. Then I wouldn't have to hunt as frequently. Billy sighed. Oh, I apologize. I must be tired. Working two jobs is trying on a man. Spaulding nodded. Understandable. See you back at the manor? Billy asked. Of course. Billy waved goodbye and went to leave. Spaulding called out after him, saying, Make Louise work on her trapping techniques. Billy smiled. She will. After closing the shop, Spaulding returned home to his family. He hadn't been to Fight Club often lately either. The idea of it made him sick. He could run into Irene again, and he didn't want that to happen. Spaulding wanted to stay on the down low for a while. He had to put his family first. That was the important thing. Father! He heard Lisa's high-pitched voice as she ran across to him from the veranda. Vivian and Lilith were out sitting and watching as she sprinted to Spaulding. He had just finished putting the horse away. What a pleasant welcome. He smiled to himself. Lisa! Spaulding said while leaning down to embrace the girl. She rushed up to him and gave him a big hug, wrapping her arms around him. He gave her a squeeze. Now, what have you been up to today? Getting better at sewing, Lisa said. Great Aunt Vivian is teaching me a lot. How exciting, Spaulding said. Are you going to start making your own clothes? Lisa giggled. I'm not there yet. Maybe soon. Glad to hear. And how's that boy situation of yours? Lisa put her hands behind her back. I think it's good. I want to invite him over. You'd best ask your mother, Spaulding said. She'll have a better idea on how to handle that. I'm at work all day, you know. The truth was... Spaulding didn't want the Wainwrights over. He didn't want the Connors over. He didn't want anyone over. That was asking for trouble. Okay, Lisa said. You could always set up another visit. Maybe on Sunday. Your mother and I can talk to the Wainwrights while you chat with that boy, Spaulding winked. Lisa smiled. I'd like to see him. He's nice to me. As long as he's nice to my little girl, then that is fine. Remember... Don't let him make a simp of you. You have to look out for yourself, even if he does seem nice. As I made a fool of myself, Spaulding thought. He didn't mean to be influenced by his own experience while giving fatherly advice to his daughter. 
but it was hard not to. He couldn't get Irene out of his head. I will, father, Lisa said. Now I'm going to find Louise. She's been in her room a lot lately. How come? Spaulding asked. She's whacked. I think that stuff Billy is teaching her has her tuckered out. That'll do it, Spaulding said. Come now, let's go inside. He guided his daughter away from the stables. The two of them wandered toward the house and up the stairs to the veranda. Evening, Spaulding said, tipping his hat to Vivian and Lilith. Vivian and Lilith waved. See? Lisa said while hurrying to Vivian. She lifted one of Billy's shirts. The tan shirt had a thread stitched sideways, mending a tear. I'm learning to fix things, Lisa said. She's doing wonderful, Vivian said. I'm glad to hear, Spaulding replied. Spaulding, Lilith said. I think Penny needs some help. Inside. Spaulding squinted. It was not often that Lilith would tell him that Penny needed him. It must be important. Usually, she was self-sustaining and didn't want any help. All right, I'll see what the missus needs. Thank you. He took a bow and left the ladies with his daughter. He went inside to the kitchen, expecting to find his wife. Normally, she was there making dinner at about this time. But today, she was not there. He peeked through the window to see Billy was out back with Louise. Spaulding frowned. This was odd. Penny was always bustling around somewhere carrying out her routine of chores or cooking. He walked throughout the manor, checking the laundry room, the living room, and several other places throughout the main floor. Next was the upper level. He went up the stairs and into the bedroom first. It seemed the most reasonable place to find her. There, the thin redhead lay sideways on the bed. The curtains were closed. Spaulding knew what this was. He'd seen it before. He knew he had to be gentle. Dear, what are you doing? Spaulding asked softly while walking toward her, already knowing the answer. Penny curled up. Mon, she mumbled. Spaulding sat on the bed and put his hand onto her shoulder. The woman flinched and jerked away. Mun. She had mentioned that word before, usually in an episode like this. Fire. Pain. Penny continued to ramble. Penny, Spaulding said while leaning over towards her. The woman did not look at him. Her eyes were wide, locked on the closed window. Ruin. Mun, Penny said. Penny? Spaulding asked, placing his hand on her forehead. It wasn't hot. This was not a fever. Spaulding hadn't seen her have an episode this intense since... the night the twins were born. That night, she had repeated about the same words and seemed just as far away. Fire! Burning! Penny exhaled heavily. Spaulding reached for her hand. It was cold. His wife pulled away. No! She shouted. Penny, it's me. Your husband. No! Penny said again. Pain! Spaulding sighed while taking off his hat. He rubbed his brow while staring at the bed frame. Not often did these episodes happen. When they did, he was never sure what to do. Ruin. Nothing. Penny rolled onto her back and closed her eyes. Leave me. Spaulding gently brushed some hair from her face. She swatted his hand. Mun, she said. Mun is always here. The fire. The twins. She never leaves. Spaulding pulled his hand back. 
clutching it in the other. He felt his heartache. The same pain any time she denied him. Penny was supposed to be his wife. A physical connection was something he longed for in her. She didn't reciprocate often. How about we get some light in here, Spaulding said, crossing the room to the curtains. No, please, Munat, Penny said. He flung them open. A gray owl stared right at them. The animal fluttered its wings and made a loud hoo. Whoa, Spaulding said. Shoo. He tapped on the glass. He didn't think those type of owls were day creatures. It was way too early for them to be out. Close it, please. I have a headache, Penny said. Okay, Spaulding said, closing the curtains. The owl stared at him as its wings folded back down. How odd. Owls tended to show up when things went wrong. Superstition. Spaulding didn't want to buy it. His wife was having an episode. She'd get through it. Penny had had rambles like this before. It always related to her family being burned to death. It was only a relapse of thoughts of trauma. Spaulding sat back down on the bed. He pulled out his pocket watch and checked the time. It wasn't anywhere near bedtime. He had to be here with her though. As tempted as he was to go to Fight Club and vent his frustrations, he couldn't. He was a family man. His wife needed him. She was important. Ghosts from his past were not, no matter how attractive they were. Spaulding scooted over to his side of the bed and lay down as his wife continued to mumble and twitch. He was loyal. Chapter 25 Fire, Pain, and Ruin Are you sure this will work? Lisa asked. It has to, Louise said. You saw for yourself what the midwives could do. I thought you said they fooled me. They fooled you because you're not old enough to do miracles. Lisa scratched her head. I suppose so. Great Uncle Billy and Great Aunt Vivian need help, Louise said. I'd like to do something nice for them. So they can have babies, Lisa said quietly. Louise brought her index finger to her mouth. Quiet. They're really upset about this and don't want the other adults to know. But he told you? Lisa asked. Yeah, I kind of discovered it, Louise said. Okay, and you think the midwives can help them have a baby? Lisa asked. It's worth a try. It's the least we can do. Great Uncle Billy and Great Aunt Vivian are family. Father says family comes first. Yeah, Lisa said. Do they know what the plan is? Great Uncle Billy does. I think he'll explain it to Vivian. I told Great Uncle Billy I had to tell you. Louise had to bring her sister into the mix. They did everything together. Plus, she felt guilt-ridden for having to tell Lisa she was fine. Keeping secrets was not what sisters did. Nothing would be the same anymore. Thanks, Lisa said. That's what sisters do. Yeah, Louise said. It burned her not being able to tell her sister what really sparked the bonding between Billy and Louise. Unfortunately, she couldn't say anything. And Billy is, uh, okay with me knowing? Lisa asked. He seemed fine. We know the midwives well. It makes sense. And do the midwives know? I don't think so, Louise said. I thought we would just show up. They're usually home midweek. When are we going? She asked. This afternoon, Louise said. Lisa nodded. That was that. The twins carried on with the day, eagerly anticipating the afternoon. They spent the morning with mom, 
who kept them occupied in the manor. It was all boring stuff. The twins were too wrapped in thinking about what they were going to do next. Miracles. The midwives were so mysterious. They would love to see another one of the women's magic actions. After lunch, it was showtime. Great Uncle Billy and Great Aunt Vivian came into the dining room. The twins were finishing their lunch. Great Uncle Billy looked at Louise. She nodded at him. Penny, Great Aunt Vivian said. We're going to take the girls in the wagon. Billy and I are going to see some of the wilderness and thought we could give the girls something a little different today. Oh? Mum said while peeking out from the kitchen. Sure, it is a lovely day. Yeah, perhaps Billy can show them some hunting techniques, Vivian said. I'm getting familiar with that, Louise said with a smile. Mum nodded. Of course. You girls have fun now. She brought her gaze to Billy and Vivian. Keep a close eye on them. Don't let them run off. Of course, Great Aunt Vivian said. The plan had been initiated. The twins took their plates to the kitchen, washed them, and returned to Vivian and Billy. The four of them proceeded to leave Rutherford Manor. They sat in the wagon as the horse pulled it along the winding road. As on every journey, they passed Killer Annie's house. Today, the dog was nowhere to be seen. Very typical of Killer Annie, Louise thought. Animals went missing. The wagon continued to the outskirts of Rowley. They took a side road towards the midwife's home. The path was beaten, but still smooth enough for the wagon to move on. The midwives lived together in a sort of communal environment. They worked together and enjoyed leisurely time together. Louise thought it was fascinating. They were women that were defined by their own actions. They didn't learn chores for a man. That was the life Louise wanted. She was certain of it after the incident with the predator. That was why Great Uncle Billy was teaching her to hunt. No man or boy would make a fool of her again. She would make a fool of them. You sure they are here? Lisa asked. How do we know they live here? They do, Great Uncle Billy said. I've been around Rowley and the forest long enough to know where people live. That's why I want to hunt, Louise said with a wicked grin. To be one step ahead of everyone. Great Aunt Vivian gently touched Great Uncle Billy's arm. That's my husband. The wagon reached the end of the road where a small wooden cottage stood in an open patch surrounded by old, twisting trees. Moss grew on the home, climbing up the stone chimney. The front had a small fence, fireplace, clothing rack, and other supplies for house maintenance. The front door creaked open, and Rowan stepped out. She walked down the path to the wagon. What a surprise! She said, To what do I owe the honor of your visit? Hi, Rowan, Louise said. My great uncle Billy and great aunt Vivian need your help. Help? Rowan asked, looking at great uncle Billy and great aunt Vivian. Her smile faded. She sensed something. Louise knew these were the right women to see. Interesting. Let me grab the other sisters. Please, make yourselves at home. Rowan left the group and walked back up to the cottage. Various trinkets dangled over the front entryway of the home. Rocks were carefully placed all around the property in a clean, deliberate alignment. Louise noticed piles of animal bones in the middle of some stone circles. There were a bunch of items that were just as mysterious as the women themselves. I'm nervous, Great Aunt Vivian said. 
great uncle Billy hugged her. Same. This is a good step forward, though. The midwives returned and welcomed them into their home. The interior was just to be as expected, littered with trinkets, books, and ritual items. Every inch of the wall was filled up with mounted frames and pendants. There wasn't much walking room, as the room was small and divided by a couch, forming a living room on one side and a dining room on the other. Louise stared at a portrait painting mounted on the wall. It was an elderly lady. Some of the paint of the canvas had withered away. The eyes were still detailed with lashes and wrinkly eyelids. They blinked. Louise took a step back, bumping into Lisa. Sorry, Louise said. It blinked. She pointed at the painting. It didn't move. Lisa scratched her head and walked away. Strange. Louise glared at the painting. It was making her look like a bonehead. Or maybe it was all in her head after all. Elise began to boil some water for tea as everyone sat around the table. Then she returned to the group as Rowan initiated the discussion. Tell me, what brings you here? Great Uncle Billy leaned forward. Rowan, I am in dire need of help. We've tried everything. The midwives met one another's eyes in silent agreement. Then brought their focus back to Great Uncle Billy. Great Aunt Vivian extended her hand to them. We want a child. Her voice trembled. We've had no luck, Great Uncle Billy said. Over the years, we thought something might have happened. It never did. We've seen doctors. I have looked to my own past and found nothing good. We're trapped in a corner and time is not on our side. No luck at all, Rachel said. I'm afraid it is my family curse. Billy said. I'm so sorry, Rowan said. What curse? Rachel asked. My mother. She made a deal with the demon. I fear the demon owns my soul. Please, Great Aunt Vivian said. The girls here are thoughtful enough to mention that perhaps you three ladies would be able to offer some assistance. We do see things that others do not, Rowan said. We can also do things that others are unable to. Have you experienced something like this? Great Uncle Billy asked. Elise nodded. In some variations. Please, Rachel said, start from the beginning. Billy and Vivian began to explain their story. The tale began with their marriage and proceeded onward through the years. They tried traditional methods. They tried persistently for portions of their life. They talked to doctors, shamans, and had no luck. They had used strange remedies sourced from Western, Eastern, and traditional medicines passed down through generations by Billy's ancestors. The water began to boil. Tea time. Elise returned with a tray full of hot tea. She gave everyone their own cup and sat down. Louise stared at the steam that rose from her tea. It was hot. Too hot to drink. The adults seemed okay with it, though. Maybe tolerance came with age. Louise certainly felt a sting now. Perhaps this was just the beginning. Hot liquids were a part of the adult club that she would soon be joining. No doctor can explain what we are going through, Great Aunt Vivian said. We're open to alternative methods, Great Uncle Billy said. Vivian and I are no strangers to rituals. Rachel nodded. 
Being residents of Rutherford Manor, I'm sure you've seen strange things. Oh yes, Great Aunt Vivian said. Well, Rowan said, I think there is something we might be able to do. The other two ladies nodded. We know many rituals. One might be just the right fit to help with your needs. A creation ritual. Lisa and Louise smiled. That was why they came to the midwives. A creation ritual. That sounded right. It sounded like magic. What's involved? Great Uncle Billy asked. We have our trinkets, Elise said. Stones that we sisters use for rituals, amplifying our callings. We'll need everyone involved to harness energy into allowing life to be created. Created how? Great Uncle Billy asked. Rachel chuckled. Heavens no. I know where your thoughts are going. It will simply open the passageway to allow a soul to be birthed naturally. We're not going to do any sort of unnatural creationism. Great Uncle Billy folded his arms. Okay. Just checking. No other spirits. None at all, Rowan said. They have zero involvement. Great Uncle Billy nodded. Better safe than sorry, trust us. This will be a smooth and tame ritual, Elise nodded. We don't practice any dark arts of power. That opens the doors that we might not care to enter. When will we perform this ritual? Great Aunt Vivian asked while taking Great Uncle Billy's hand. Well, Rowan said, how about now? Just like that? Lisa asked. Just like that, Rowan said. The powers are within all of us to open the doors into the spirit world. What of the demon who owns my soul? A demon has no control over us, Rowan said. Our triadic powers are unmatched. Okay, Great Uncle Billy said, rubbing his chin. Let's begin. We'll have to chat again, Billy, Rowan said. I want to help you with the so-called demon. I would like that, Billy said. Perfect, Rachel said. How about you meet us out front by the large circle as we gather the necessary ritual items? Finish your teas first, Elise said. This was happening. Louise felt a rush of excitement go through her body. Finally, she could feel something other than misery. A slight distraction was nice to have. She could do something good for Great Uncle Billy, the man who saved her. They finished their tea and went out front as the midwives scurried around their home, gathering their supplies. The circle out front was large enough that all seven of them could stand in the outer ring, defined by small, smooth rocks. The center patch was all dirt with a black scorched triangular shape in the middle. Grass surrounded it. The midwives had used the circle before. It didn't take long for the ladies to come outside and join them. They walked slowly. Hoods were over their heads. Each one held a rock in their hand. Rowan also held a book in her free hand. One by one, they walked up to the ritual site where the rest of the group waited. There is nothing to fear, Rowan said. She could obviously sense the excitement and anticipation. We'll need everyone around the edge, please, joining hands. The three ladies went to the center patch, placing their stones in the edges of the scorched triangle. Each rock had an icon painted in white, gold, and black. Louise was too far away to make out the details on the icons, but it was clear one illustrated fire. 
The other had various lines and the third was a pile of rubble. Fire, pain, and ruin. That had to be it. Louise recalled clearly what the ladies had told her and Lisa that day in the forest. The midwives were drawn to certain aspects of life. That was their power. The midwives joined hands, with Rowan in the middle. Elise grabbed Vivian's hand, Rachel grabbed Lisa's. Louise held onto her sister's and great-uncle Billy's. They were ready to begin. Force of she, we welcome you, Rowan began. Aid the natural course. Aid us today to give breath to new. Rowan continued to chant while everyone held hands, repeating the phrase, Give birth to new. Louise felt her hand get clammy as it pressed against great Uncle Billy's and Lisa's. Clouds began to cover the sun. The forest darkened. Rowan continued to speak new words. Everyone continued to chant the same. Elise initiated a slow waving motion, followed by Rowan, then Rachel, and onwards. Thunder erupted. The wind began to pick up. Louise looked up at Great Uncle Billy. He stared straight at the midwives as Rowan continued to lead the group. Louise felt the ground begin to rumble. The three rocks in the center began to shake subtly, then a little more rapidly. The rocks began to hover ever so slightly above the ground. Lisa gasped, then continued to chant. Louise's eyes widened. A hoo came from a nearby branch. Louise and Great Uncle Billy both noticed an owl. Stop, Great Uncle Billy said. Bless this family, nature, mother, and all binding forces of the world, Rowan said. Rowan, you must stop, Great Uncle Billy shouted, freeing his hand. Bring clarity and life to where there is none, Rowan boomed. Ooh, came the owl's cry as it soared down from the branch, flying over the ritual site and towards Rowan. Lightning struck the center of the circle, blasting dirt into the air as the bird passed by. The force pushed everyone back. Lisa and Louise struggled the most, but held onto each other tightly. Rowan yelped as the bird's talons slashed across her face. Everyone's chanting stopped. The rocks in the center fell back to the ground. The pebbles that outlined the circle had been pushed aside. The clouds began to clear up. The thunder ended. The wind calmed down. Clear sky surrounded them once more. Damn it, Rowan said, breaking free from her sisters to clutch her face. It's broken, Elise said. What do you mean? Great Aunt Vivian asked. Rachel held onto Rowan as she began to collapse to the ground. Something's wrong. We shouldn't have done this, Great Uncle Billy said. What is going on? Great Aunt Vivian asked. Lisa and Louise stared, watching the distressed adults. They had no idea what was happening. It was clear that this was not good. Louise felt ashamed. She might have made everything worse. One thing was certain. There was no trickery in this magical event. This is not how the ritual was supposed to go, Rowan said. She panted heavily, still covering her face. Blood flowed down her neck. She relaxed in her sister's arms, eyes closed, breathing heavily. We need to clean that up, Great Aunt Vivian said. Billy, Elise said. You said stop. Why? Great Uncle Billy nodded to the branches. That owl... Munat. Elise and Rachel exchanged glances. Elaborate, Billy. Is there something you didn't tell us? Rachel asked. My curse, Great Uncle Billy said. 
What does that have to do with an owl? Elise asked. Moonot. She was here. The owl. She can shapeshift from her true form. It shouldn't have, Elise muttered. We've dealt with demons. Yes, Rachel said. The demon was your mother's bidding. My mother, Great Uncle Billy said. She made a deal with the demon Munat so she could give birth to me. She was naive. She was unaware that it would bind my soul to the demon. Now I have to feed my hunger to please her. This is unsettling, Rowan said, her eyes still closed. I can't see this being an issue, Elise said, repeating her words. We've dealt with demonism before. Do not be too alarmed, Rachel said. Please, we will study this. Demons can't enter sacred rituals. The three of us have never crossed a demon that can. Moonot is no ordinary demon, Great Uncle Billy said. Rowan's voice was grave. We opened the door to something. I can sense it. Sister, please, Rachel said. Lisa went up to Louise with a frown. She didn't need to say anything. They were both thinking the exact same thing. They had ruined this for everyone. The two of them had turned a positive thing into a nightmare. No one had answers about what this was, and they would have to wait for what the midwives had to say. Great Aunt Vivian began to cry. Pain. Great Uncle Billy's hands clenched into fists. Fire. Louise soaked in all the chaos. This was her fault. Ruin. And that is the end of episode 12. What a dramatic end. That is also the end of act 2. So now we're moving into Act 3 next week um, to find out what happens. Things don't look good for what, uh, whatever Lisa and Louise and the midwives and Billy and Vivian caused. We have five more episodes after this to find out what occurs in Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel. So if you enjoyed this, share with your friends. Uh, also check out my Patreon where I have original monthly new short stories in written and audio format, along with other goodies. So, to find out what happens in Act 3, we'll have to wait until next week. So until then, take care. Ciao.